Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Martin, good to see you, brother. And you, sir. Oh, just been reading about the. I've got a big thing. Yeah, I just been reading about the endurance course, and it brings back uh, memories, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, before we go any further, I'm just going to say some keywords because apparently that helps us on YouTube. They hear you say a few keywords in the first sentence. Right. It helps up up your rating. So we're talking here former Royal Marines Commando. Yeah. What SF were you in, Martin? Was 14 inch. 14 inch. So serving in the Northern Ireland conflict. Undercover. Yes. Uh, Can we say child child abuse? um, Child abuse and sexual abuse in the Marines. Yeah. Um, We're going to talk all about this, aren't we? And, 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 start getting a conversation going about some of these important areas of life that a lot of people, you know, want to sweep under the carpet. Yep. I think I bet the Royal Marines wish they could sweep Jimmy Savile under the carpet, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then self-made multi-millionaire. Yep. I think this is going to be a good podcast. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. So I've got on the bottom of my notes, talk Uncle Albert talk. Yes, yes. Because that's what they all called me, my kids. Yeah, what happened in the war? Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, I joined up, mate, because what what year did you leave mine? I left in 78. Oh, that's that's probably, yeah. Sorry, I stopped tripping over my words. I joined up for a bet. So right. I was I was homeless and living in my Renault 12. Right. Albeit temporary homelessness, but still not nice to experience when you're 17, you know. Kicked, no. kicked, kicked out of home for the second time at 17. Right. Um, and that's a, a whole weird experience. Being homeless. Fucking hell. Yeah. The first time I think I was 14, 15, homeless in your school uniform is something ain't right there, right? Hey, Chris, Chris. Read the book. Yes, I, 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 I was homeless at fourteen in Liverpool. Yes, I was. I did the same, mate. Yes, I ran away for two weeks. I will just say that what from from yeah. the little bit I've managed to read so far, what a really well written book, folks. And um, there's a few duffers out there, let's say, but this certainly isn't one of them. But yeah, so there I was, homeless in the Renault Twelve. My mate comes up, knocks on the window. He says. I've just passed the Royal Marines p- potential recruit course. You could never do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't, you don't tell, you know, a trauma experience of what they can and cannot do no. because, because they might not be able to control everything in the past, but they can control to a degree their future. And we, we don't like being told what we can and can't do. Am I right there, Martin? Absolutely spot on. Yeah. So I ended up on a PRC. It's now called the PRMC for people who are wondering. Um, and 
at one point we had to do the endurance course, but we did it in light order and we didn't do the run back. We did like a mile of it. Right. And as I was <coughs> running up that heathland and it's up, down in it, up, down, through the water tunnels, through the sheep dip, freaking hell, real savage. And I started to fall back and two things there. First of all, I, w- I couldn't drop out mine. I could not, no. I could no. not fail because I didn't want my parents having the satisfaction of going, there you go, we told you you went, you know. <coughs> and, and and the other thing there was the Royal Marines Corporal, I'm guessing he was a corporal, PTI or something, dropped back and went, are you right, fella? I went, yeah, I'm knackered, Corporal. <laughs> so don't you worry about that. In the Royal Marines, we ain't looking for supermen. We're looking for blokes just like you, blokes that don't give up. I thought that was a real special thing he said to me, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So how did you, you, were you in the Navy first, did I gather? No, no, I was in the Sea Cadets. Ah, okay. And I went to join the Navy, and as I was sat in the recruitment, this big colour sergeant walked in and said, would you like to be a Marine commando? And I said, well, I thought you had to get picked. He said, well, I'm picking you. So that was it. I was 16, I think. Yes. And what was that then? Was that recruiting office did you have to do some pull-ups and stuff yeah i mean I, I the reason you went you were homeless i went to get away from my abuse from my father that's that's i was a very very talented artist and i wanted to go to art school and the royal academy had accepted me but i had to get away from uh the home so that's why i joined and then uh went to deal as a junior marine and you don't have to, you know, dip in too deep or you just tell me to fuck off, whatever, it doesn't matter. No. But w- was your dad getting physical with you? Uh, well, I, it ended up that I was bleeding. My black back used to bleed with the fishing rod. I used to have to take my shirt off. Um, and my mother made me wait at home in the parlour with no heating when I was eight because I'd been caught doing something at school, something silly, and I waited in the corner from four to 11 with no heating, no food, and I used to piss myself, so I wasn't allowed to go to the toilet, and then sent to bed, and my father used to drive on the motorbike, and it, you used to hear him wheezing up the stairs and taking his belt off, and I just prayed it was the strap and not the buckle end, but mostly it was the buckle end, and my brother used to stand in front of him, um, but it, it didn't stop. Then it went on to a fishing rod with the eyes in. I said, jump in the bath, or I'm told to have a bath. And the water was literally pink with blood. Yeah, it was fucking abusive. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, it, still, it still gets me now, Chris. Sorry. Hey, no apology needed, mate. No apology needed. And I, I think there'd probably be people surprised to hear this. But as I say to everybody... The 70s was, well, I mean, I was growing up in the 70s. I'm guessing you were 10 years before me. But even in the 70s, it was a really abusive time. Yeah. You know, any adult back then could beat you as a kid. Any. Yeah. I know it sounds weird, but you could be, I mean, I remember times walking down the street, some adult just come over, smack you around the head, right? Yeah. Yeah. For spitting or something. Yeah. 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 Or it would turn out that someone had like cherry knocked their door or something 
and they yeah. just walked along and just picked you to you know maybe they got the person wrong or whatever it was yeah. um and i remember you know in, in school teachers were just allowed to get physical with you and and now if they did if they did now what they did to us back then and certain kids in particular got singled out i used to get the cane virtually every day mate, for some silly thing and if they were really when i look at what kids do today they were silly little things yeah yeah no you know some of the things that went on if they did it today they'd be looking at like five years in prison absolutely right you no know, they, they they honestly honestly would so but that's why half the profits are going to vulnerable children in any shape or form i don't mind yes good what was the name of that charity is i'm i'm actually keeping the money in a pot and looking because me and Teresa help people we've helped the people all our lives and we look at suitable candidates if you like and we personally look after them yeah so that's it's not going to a big charity chris okay no no, no that, that that's brilliant do you know a guy called julian called who sorry julian julian ex-marine he's he's about your age he's living up in scotland at the moment yeah did you say, did you say julian like um yeah he does a lot for uh does a lot of marathons and things Oh, we, we we might have crossed on the old internet or something, but yeah, because we're looking after him at the moment. I make sure he's all right. Yeah, oh, yeah, good. yeah, good. We we can promote anything that you like, or any links you want to send us. Obviously, we'll put a link for the book underneath this video. Um, so there you are. You you're trying to get out of home. You end up in the in the Marines. Yep. What 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 was Limston like back then? Was it it was Limston, right? Well, we did deal first as a junior marine. Ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then we went to Limston, uh, which, like you, I used to have asthma, and like you, that corporal, I I was going on a run and I had an asthma attack, and he stopped me, Sergeant Blackmore, and he said, "You got asthma, boy?" I said, "No, sir, no, Sergeant, no." He said, "You have?" He said, "Now." When you get an attack, put your hand up, and I'll tell the team just to hit you on the back of me, hit me on the on the back with a pickaxe head, on the back of my pack, and it, it cleared it, and that was it, because they could have thrown me out, but it was mm. brilliant. Yeah, lucky one. Get a lot of youngsters approach me, and they've got some health issues, and they're like, Chris, you know, what do I do? And I say, look, I can't advise you, but if it was me joining up again. I wouldn't tell him. I wouldn't tell him. No, I did. You know. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I wouldn't have got in if I'd been if I'd said I had asthma, but he recognised it. You see, so yeah, good luck to him. Yeah, and you were saying you um, reading your bit about the endurance course. Yes, my yes. old my old nemesis. What a bastard that officer was! Because I failed it the first time. And you've only got one more chance, and uh, Captain Ash Ginger Air. Ran me right the way round. Coming back, he says, you've got five minutes. I actually had 15. I, I fucking collapsed at the end of it. But I had 15 minutes. And I looked at him. I said, he said, well, you got round. You're all right. Yes. Yes. And what was it? What was it? You went to 4-2 again. We went to the same first unit. 4-2, I went. And um, we went to Canada. Because I was too young to go to Ireland. I was only just 17 
And that, that was the start of two years of sexual abuse, mate, in my room. Yeah. And then he tried to pimp me out in Florida. And then I took one of these blokes apart and he never touched me again. Blimey. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? People tend to hero worship the forces and they, they, yeah. they don't know the half of it, do they? No, it's just that why Jamie brought all this out was he said, because from here on, you were really, you, and you still are to a point, a really angry young man. And this is why, because everyone I trusted fucked me over. Mm. But I had to fight back. So this guy then, was he ever prosecuted? Did, did... No, no. No, I, I buried it for 50 years, Chris. I didn't even tell my wife. If Jamie brought it out, I, I, I put it right back in time. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was either six-month break when I told him about that one. <laughs> this uh, corporal didn't get punished. No. Um, and, yeah, again, it's... We were saying, weren't we, people hero worship the forces. They don't realise that people in the forces are just human, you know, and and, it, and a, take a broad spectrum of life. So you get you get some really good good people and you get some bad people, don't you? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And, but the thing is, you've got no one to talk to. Yeah. Especially when you're you're that young, the pressure on you. you I, I mean, you... you if you were to speak out, you're I'd have been out. Yeah, or you're just gonna get yeah, you're just gonna get bullied by the rest of the we're not yeah. maybe not always, but it, it's hard, isn't it? When you're you're what like 16 or 17, yeah. Um to speak out about about a grown man, it, it's a difficult thing to do. Mm. Very much. Did you do any Norways in the yeah. <laughs> That's the reason I joined Special Forces, mate. I was in 4-5 after the... Um, uh, I went on ships and, yeah, I took I took the HMS Daney to siege for so 24 tell hours. Us, tell us more. <laughs> I've got a girl pregnant in Plymouth and I went with her to get an abortion. I think I was about 18, 19. And I came back on board and this leading seaman, I went to the heads, he's washing his hands. And he said, where have you been? You've been with that slut. And the red mist came tumbling down. So he wore the two taps and split his head open. And I just left him and I went and got my top bunk. About half an hour later, I was woke up on the floor with the duty watch round me saying, come on upstairs or up top. That's what I did. Lieutenant Blackmore, big six and a half footer, was stood there. And I said, sir, what, what am I doing up here? He said, you're waiting for the shore patrol to come and arrest you for serious assault. I said, I fucking ain't. And I hit him with the stool, the bosun stool. Then I went down, I ran down to get back to the mess deck. And there's about half a dozen Marines on there. And uh, this guy grabbed hold of me, so I pulled him and he went down and hit the... Uh, the metal hatch, got in the mess deck and they sent the Sergeant Major in, told him to fuck off. But while I was there, I amassed marlin spikes, tins of, you remember the old puss of tins of jam? Two yeah. pound tins of jam, them, all on this fridge in the corner and they had a really narrow gap to get into the mess deck. 
of course, the boys on the bunks were just pissing themselves. <laughs> Come on, Taff, you can do it. So Sergeant Major came in, I threw him out. The Lieutenant RM came in, I threw him out. Then the Fleet RSM and everyone that came was getting thrown these things up. And the Fleet RSM came in then. And he said, yeah, I actually let him in the mess there. He said, right, he said, now, why don't you go make a cup of coffee and we'll talk about this. I said, you think I'm fucking stupid. I go out there, I'm going to get hit. I said, so you now, matey, I've got 10 seconds to get out of my mess deck. Otherwise, these are getting lobbed at you. So he said, he said, well, you're going to get two years for this. You know that, don't you? And thrown out. I said, look, you're fucked. Because I, I really, I had no reason whatsoever. So they had the big guns sent in the legs diamond, who was massive head of shore patrol in Plymouth Dockyard. But he had to bend over to come into the mess deck. So I picked the fridge up. He was so big and hit him on the head. And they dragged him out. You see his head moving out of the thing. So they dragged him out. And then the Sergeant Major came and said, Moy, 6 a.m., dogs, gas, and lots of people coming to get you out. I said, all right. So 10 to 6, I put my combats on, my berry, packed an overnight bag. And as I walked up the step, up the gangway, up onto the, the flight deck, there was a fucking helicopter, there was lights and dogs. I said, well, I'll come quietly if it's Royal Marine police that I have. And these two RM came in. So we were sitting up. Yeah, it was good fun. Jeez, what ship were you on? Hayes Daily. Um, okay, what was that, like a destroyer or something? Um, a frigate. Frigate, yeah, frigate. Yeah. Yes. Did you get any good runs ashore, Ben? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went to uh, Puerto Rico, around the West Indies. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Now I've got 90 days DQs. Let's take the DQs first and we'll talk about your trips because um, I was on Invince for a year. Oh, and that's, HMS, a, I, that, that's HMS Invincible for friends at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. We, we joined forces with uh, Standard Fortland. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, sorry, going back to what was DQs like? Um, well, Captain Brian Uthwaite loved the Marines. So he came to me and said, look, in the, in the prison, he said, and by the way, when they transferred me to Plymouth um, prison on the dockyard, it was legs diamond, the one I knocked out who stood there. And I thought, shit, I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me now. And he, he said, have you got any problems with me, Edward? So I said, no, not at all. He said, right, come in. We played cards and drank beer all night. So it was great, because that was all right. Um, and Uthwaite said, what you have to do is accept my punishment. Otherwise, it goes to court martial, and you're going to get out two years in uh, prison, out, and then charge civilian. I said, OK, I'll, yeah. So he gave me 90 days. Yeah, it was good. I was the only Marine in uh, Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah, what 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 sort of stuff do you have to? What what's your cell like? Oh, it's just just like a little bare painted brick cell with a dustbin, a zinc dustbin that we have to polish every fucking night for inspection. And uh, but they they see again. I was in the dining room. There was a huge queue, so I just sat down. I got me me condiments, me salt, pepper, put on the table, sat down. 
And this Matlow came over. She said, what the fuck are you doing, Royal? I went, I'm waiting for the queue. He said, you don't sit down till I fucking tell you. And I saw this blur and this fucking Royal Marine, he was an ex-boxing champion, colour sergeant, grabbed this Matlow, slammed him against the wall. He said, you don't touch a Royal, he's mine. And that was it. I got left alone all for 90 days. God. I did one night in DQs after getting arrested on the <coughs> on the beer. That, yeah. was, that was enough. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Do you have to do fitness and stuff in there, you know? Yeah, every day, mate. It was, it was, yeah, it was a long... I was the fittest I'd ever been. And the only time I've ever given up smoking because the ball sweets were better. So I'd have got one cigarette after your meal or three ball sweets. Mm. <laughs> the blue liners, you couldn't get any smoke out of them anyway. You but when, when I, I came to leave, you're allowed, in, in the range, you're allowed to choose any draft you want. So I chose to go back to HMS Davey. And they said, you can't. I said, well, I fucking can. You've told me any draft. So they rang Uthway. He said, yeah, I'll have him back. So I went back on the ship. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. Loved it. Loved ships. Yeah. Did you get issued cigarettes back then? Yes, blue liners. Yeah. Which were packed like wood. We used to get the beer. We, we could have two cans of beer a day. That's it. Yep, same. So we used to save them up. We used to hot, hot, well, <laughs> stash them underneath the chair, underneath the but whatever you call you. those cushion chair things in the in the mess. Yeah, like so sofas, but they're not really sofas, are they? <laughs> but we used to lift the cushions up and store our beer. And, every, and at the well, weekend, we did we we did that, Chris, and we got this big, uh, you know, the big uh, jerry cut, the big um, fannies, the big tins we poured all sorts of spirit and beer and i got shit faced and we shaved our heads in a mohican with our fucking knives <laughs> that's what I, that's the picture i saw saw yeah in, well, i was book, absolutely pissed doing that yeah and that was brian Uthway. he said oh take your berries off shave your head we've got two weeks stoppage of leave then all right till i back I just wanted to find a picture. Hang on a sec. Yeah, for our friends at home, I don't know if you can. Uh, <laughs> yes. Me, Mick Green, Mitch, and Lester Piggott. That's the boys in that picture. And yeah, you were saying we were saying about runner shores, weren't we? What what ones did do you say? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. That was um, oh, that was brilliant. Because we we played rugby against the Navy US Navy SEALs, and after it we had a party on the beach. And they had the big uh, bins full of beer, ice cold beer, and they said, "Let's swim across to this little island." So we did, and they started doing the theme of Jaws. And of course, when I get nervous, I I giggle, and I'm taking in water, and we get to the other side. I said, why did you start singing Jaws? He said, because this is called Barracuda Bay. I said, you what? He said, it's full of them. <laughs> I thought, shit, we have to swim back. Pissed. <laughs> so we did. Yes. Did you beat them at the, at the what was it, rugby? Yeah, we, we had Tiger Beer on the line at halftime. They were doing their sprints and warm-ups, and we were drinking beer and having a fag, and we still beat them. Our skill. 
Hey, that's where the Navy SEALs are going wrong, you see. It's not enough here in France. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how how does somebody get into 14 in then? What 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 how was that progression for you? Well, I went up to four or five, didn't like the ski training, and there's a note on the little little tiny bit of paper on the notice board saying if you'd like to wear your hair long, civilian clothes, and work on your own, please apply so i put my name down about half a dozen names went down and then i'm literally sunday morning towel around my waist and flip-flops so i said somebody needs wants to see you in the guard room i went who she's some little bloke with a bowler hat i went what the fuck's that so i went i went down the guard room he said uh, you marine Evers? yeah he said uh recently out of dqs and hms daily i said yeah he said well i'd like to chat to you about your your application so we had a long chat he said well you do seem like the sort of bloke we need for an undercover unit and uh so i joined uh 1500 applied 80 got on the course and seven passed wow but i was no super fit man i was i was i think i'm i'm pretty much psychologically damaged to be honest and i don't when, when my mind's made up i don't give a shit what anyone throws at me ever and the big as they are, as many as they are, doesn't mean a toss to me. So they they really, and I, I like to keep people's morale up. So I was the joker. And my training number, unfortunately, was seven, seven, seven. <laughs> so I did not get picked on for the sevens. Better than, better than six, six, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That probably suits me more. Yeah. Um, what and what training do you do? Because I, I mean, I honestly have no idea. So, for friends at home, we're talking about 14 int. So, I'm guessing that's the what the 14th intelligence unit, right? Its first name was SIU, and even the name secret intelligence unit was top secret. No one was allowed to say the, the name of it. Nobody had no one we knew knew where we were. We weren't allowed to phone or or write unless it was all censored. Um, yeah, they, they took it very seriously. And we did the the SAS selection to start with. I, I believe we did and talked to friends since we did. And then you were taken to a little camp where you learned all the recognition and uh, uh, observation post skills. And it was about five months. And, uh, you know, one lad, he, he got, used to go back into your room and beds would be empty. And all, all you went for was a tap on the shoulder, which meant you're finished. And they did it, you know, they, we did million one day and they lined us up, no gloves, head to head, roughly the same size. And you had three minutes to beat the shit out of each other. So we did. Some people gave up, went. And the next day, they said, right, line up again, we're doing million again. And 13 blokes walked. They said, oh, sorry, no, that was yesterday. We're doing murder ball. And they all turned around they said, no, you've gone, go. So it was all, it was, it was really sort of psychological as well as physical. Um, but yeah, yeah, I got through. Mm. And yeah, so friends at home, so 14 in then is the undercover guys and girls, I'm guessing, that, that operate, well, 
I suppose around the world, but back in our day, it, it was the Northern yeah. Ireland conflict. Purely Northern Ireland then. Yeah. What 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 sort of tasks could you expect to do? It was mainly surveillance, um, unless it turned into a conflict, and then you you know exactly what happens then. Um, but we would house people. We would have a, we had a code a code book um, with all the terrorists and code code names. Now, Salmon One, sorry, Trout One was Jerry Adams. Alpha Eleven was Martin McGuinness, and he was in charge of Derry, and he was the main man. I mean, there's there's lots of things in the book, um, but the the one that frightens me the most, or two actually. One was to find an IED, an improvised explosive device, which had been hidden under the flyway in Derry, a flyover. And they were being used to put into shops in Belfast, incendiary, on a timer. When people had gone home, up they went. So I had to find it. So I found it after a bit of looking. And me and Blue, I put it in my pocket, took it to a little car park about half a mile away, opened the boot, opened it and took photographs of it because each one is wired to a certain person it's like a signature and then put it back and when i think of it now i'm you know i could have my balls blown off yeah yeah they used to for the timers they used to use all sorts of weird stuff didn't they yep yep you could buy them like in bulk this certain kind of top i mean yeah. the, the, over the years, I'm guessing everything's been used from egg timers to watches to, in recent times, obviously mobile phones. And, and um, but I remember when we were over there, there was a specific time type of timer you bought it like wholesale, you could buy thousands of them, yeah. I'm guessing. And yeah, uh, there was a guy in Belfast, one of the IRA players called Toasty Flynn, and they called him Toasty because he'd blown all his all his face off it, it <laughs> bomb had gone off you know he was a bomb mate bomb maker obviously and he'd um one had detonated in his face and so they, his nickname was toasty i don't know if the ira nicknamed him that or whether it was just the, the british, <laughs> british forces but probably yeah serious old business and um yeah tell us more martin what you know did you did you get in any scrapes um yeah the the one i mean all the the reason i put ultimate survival on this is because i probably had more lives than the cat would have one particular one was in the Cregan. we were told there's um an arm stash in the school in the loft so we did a recce we came back uh got mi6 involved because we were gonna bug it um so, but we did that and as we were going back to check what we, we found we, we found a uh, a bunch of old shotguns in the loft and a suitcase. The suitcase was full of documents signed by McGuinness and there were 30 death warrants. Those documents came back with us. MI6 photographed um, one of the steps of the ladder and the stock of one of the rifles. And we went back out, photographed all the documents sent to London and heard nothing. So we went, we went back in, but on the way in, we were like silhouetted and to get through the window of the school, we, we had to have this uh, homemade appliance, which looked a little bit like a machine gun. So little Aki's carrying this, and all we heard was this halt. Now, fucking luckily, it was a Yorkshire accent. 
where we operated, the the army in that area were told, do not go in there. The boys are operating, which we were the boys. This bloke obviously thought boyos, which is the IRA. So he decided to pop an ambush on us. And the MI6 bloke went for his pistol. And luckily, he fucking left it in the camp. He left it there. So we got through that. We had to go back. We had to pull out for a few months. But went back in with MI6 and put the, he brought these two things up, fantastic. And they was completely bugged from then on. So we had the transcripts of the IRA and the movement of the weapons. And they actually got the movements on the tilt switch to stop. So we, yeah, we, we, we got a few good wins. The bloke that made the IED, we caught. And that was from housing him to staking him out. was my first OP, about seven days eating uh, crackers and gold sausages. Uh, no hot drinks, nothing. And um, yeah, we, we, we housed him, tracked him, associates, to a building site where it was a poor cabin. And that was the bomb factory. You got 12 years. Blimey. Yeah, a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of work. Yeah, I bet. Did you see much death over over there? Uh, my mate, unfortunately, got ambushed and shot Jay. Um, and even that is another life, because we were both getting married on the same day in, in March. So we went to uh, call Rain to get our suits. On the way back, he started pissing down. I said, I don't fancy this OP this tonight. And Jay said, well, I'll do it, because the other guy was his mate from the Paras, who was ex-Para. I was the only Marine there, or ex-Marine. And uh, so he did it. And they got they got done. And he, he died, bless him. I was in control. Are you able to tell us a bit more what actually happened? Because Well, what, what happened was that there was there were two two terrorists that were living underground. Well, they came out at night and they positioned the OP to cover this area, and they saw the two figures coming and but you've got to bear in mind that the army are told to keep out, so that it's not going to be army. But they've got camouflage suits on and rifles. Now, I personally would have just shot them. Quite simple. Unfortunately, the guy with Jay, and I won't mention his name because he was a call he made, actually followed the yellow book. I said, halt, halt. And on the second halt, they sprayed him with rounds. And as he went down, he sprayed Francis Hughes and caught him on the legs. But he made a call, you know, whether right or wrong, it's, it's, it's his call. I was an authorised call. So anyway, we found Francis Hughes in the, in the bushes, and that's, I've got a sort of rose gallery of this, and he died on hunger strike. Tony Diamond got away and was never, never caught. Jay, unfortunately, they both had the same injuries. The, the bullets had gone through their stomach, but Jay's had gone through his pistol and taken a lot out. So I literally sat with him as he died in the hospital. It was, yeah, because I was on control. Because you have one operator doing the radio to call people in if the shit hits the fan, and the two operators. And unfortunately, yeah, he died, bless him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a serious end of the stick, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What, um, what did you do after the detachment? Um, <laughs> I was going to go back in the Marines. Until I was interviewed by a sergeant major that called me a fucking cowboy, and I was going back to Derry as a Royal Marine. And I went, "You having a laugh, mate?" 
not a chance. Sorry, that was before. It was about a week, a, a month before, right? I said, no. So when I went back, I was all bravado. Now, this is where I followed McGuinness into a shop because you get all cocky, don't you? At the end of your tour, nothing can touch me. My mate had been killed. I have survived. So I'm doing a foot follow through Derry. And McGuinness, he walked into this shop. So I walked in and he wasn't there. The shop was just like a front room of a house. So I picked up a packet of chewing gum, 220, grunted. And I turned around, McGuinness in a little alcove on the phone. He said, gotcha. Yeah, that's when you know adrenaline's brown. And I ran, going black. And I got picked up when we went. Yeah, that was that was a scary moment. That one. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bless him. When we were there, it was... Um... The buzz was that McGuinness was the, in charge of all importing all the drugs into Belfast. Yeah. Because they had this thing, didn't they? The IRA would act as uh, the local police for the anti-sort of drugs trade. That, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, again, for friends listening, when you, you hear about these kneecappings, a lot of them were, were teenagers that were caught smoking a bit of dope that uh, I don't know if they got a warning or what, and if it's like second time unlucky, but they take him in an alleyway. In fact, they wouldn't even take, they they tell them to turn up at this certain time in an alleyway and the youngster or whoever it was who'd wronged, wronged the IRA would just have to turn up. Some of them would wear shorts. So when they got shot, the, the, the wound wouldn't get infected with, with cloth. And, and cause a nightmare for the surgeon to take the yeah. cloth out. And so they turn up there, you know, roll their trouser legs up, roll their sleeves up and get shot through the elbows and the knees. And and that was the IRA, uh, you know, a big part of that was the IRA, their, yeah. their anti, anti-substance use stance, can we say, at the same time as the IRA were importing all the drugs. <laughs> in- they, they were, and the cabs were their transport. Yes, they owned the cabs. Heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those cabs were up to a lot of no good, weren't they? Some of them, let's say. Absolutely. We saw that when the signalers were shot, didn't we, that, that the um, taxis blocked their car in. Did you, did you know anything about those guys? Was it called? Yes, the, the, two, the two guys that got, because we, we had a reunion just after that. I was in tears because they were two... Um, admin guys had they been operators they'd have killed half of them people and got away but they were admin guys and they'd taken the wrong turn at a funeral yeah and they were butchered yeah I, yeah that was really sad but you know rules are rules don't do it yeah Corporal Howes and Corporal Wood that was just savage wasn't it it was awful yeah yeah and that's that's why you know, and some things I can't say are not in the book. What what we did over there is quite or quite justified. Whatever happens to any of them. Well, that that was eighty eight. So that's the year that we went out there, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, no, we went eighty nine. So this was eighty eight. So we're opening up the newspapers back here, and all over the mainstream media was the helicopter footage of these two guys. Yeah. You saw them accidentally drive into this funeral. That you, you just saw a car. Obviously, you didn't know. Yeah. You know, they didn't know at the time. And the car just shot into this funeral. Then it appeared to 
panic and try yeah. to reverse out. But by that time, the locals or the taxi drivers had clicked something's not right about this and they drove to block them off, didn't they? And then yeah. lots of strange stuff. There's a one close-up image. You could see the magazine dropping out of one of their Browning nine mils. Because they weren't trained, Chris. Yeah, they reckon that he'd he'd gone to take the safety catch, but hit the, yeah. you know, drop the clip. Yeah, see, uh, the pure admin, they don't do any training at all. Yeah. And they just drive. They, they used to pick us up from the airport. Of course, we would be the backup. Um, whenever we went on leave, they'd drive us. But they had the long hair as well, you see, but... Unfortunately, they weren't. Yeah, gosh, just awful. It's just, yeah. just, yeah, awful, awful. So, tell us what what happened. Did you leave when they asked you to go back in the Marines? Then what happened? Did you? Is that when you put? Well, your he 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 basically said I'm a cowboy and what have you. But the 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 head of it, Colonel Ian Campbell, the head of the uh, 22 SAS at the time, actually got that bloke sacked. That's our major. Because he was a failed operator, basically. Um, so we went, we went back and had a stag do for, uh, sorry, a wake instead of a stag do for the for Jay and a marine, a very very strong, big, tough marine. We thought went running out into the compound, and so I said, "That's that's not right." And he was going into his boot, and he got his rifle out. Oh fucking! Everyone was pissed, and I know he had got put a bit of spoil on to make it automatic. And he he pulled it out. I'm going to kill the bastard. And I grabbed all the barrel and Dave, um, uh, Dave Op, I grabbed the barrel and he put it right in my mouth, right next to my mouth. And as Dave pulled it, he fired. Went straight through the dining room. Just cracked up, mate. Just totally lost it. So he was stripped and put in the room and taken away and returned to unit. But he was a, he was a SPS, yeah, but couldn't take it. But after we found, he hadn't actually been where he said he'd been on the ground when we were looking for backup. He'd been hiding. So he, you know, and these big tough soldiers, but the head takes over. Yeah, I bet you were fearless, weren't you? <laughs> well, that, somebody uh, died, another operator. At Dave, Dave died of cancer last year, unfortunately. Um, actually wrote, read it out of the funeral what a hero his dad was his, uh, his mate uh, Dave was um, and they all they all just thought yeah that's Dave Bruin Dave Bruin yeah he was he was he did about three tours uh, lovely guy but yeah saved my life what comes next then what, was that your bodyguard your bodyguard instant or is I tried more? to join the place and I got through and then John Alderton the the guy with a beard god in manchester because that's where i went to join um not me back tried to appeal couldn't so then i went to devon i labored on a building site for two years lived in a caravan um can we just uh, just just for our friends at home let, let's just highlight there this is this is an issue that service personnel face it oh yeah we, we got martin here who's who's special forces operator tr entrusted to you know carry a weapon under his jacket and and have the the um you know the wherewithal to know when to discharge it and and etc etc and then 
you come out of the forces and you can only get a job on a building site and we've yep. we've, all, we've all been there haven't we yep yep then i was i was offered a job by an ex commander of special forces in london doing bodyguarding so that's what i did for uh, a guy called prince banda bin sultan who's the defense minister for saudi in america um yeah did that for a while any uh, any exciting moments there no no well <laughs> carrying his bags well, no the only exciting moment was when his daughter who was seven ran down the hotel corridor into the lift down into the grand ballroom and lifted a, a nighty up and i gave her a slap oh crikey yeah i knew he lost my he said you never touch I said she was throwing a fanny all around the door. Yeah, that was about the only seven in that 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 one job. Mm. Yeah. And um, would you agree that working on a building site in winter is one of the hardest things a man hey, can do? I loved it. I I one of the Italian guys that worked there come at me with a knife once because I was showing him up. I was sprinting with bags of cement. I was down to eleven and a half stone. I've still got pictures of it now. And it was, I loved every minute of it. I was super fit, super tired when I got home to go to sleep. Because I don't sleep, I do about two, three hours now a night. And that's it. But yeah, I loved every minute of it, mate, honestly. £32 yeah. a week. I, I was a bit the same, you know, when you have to stack out the blocks and yeah. you just, you start off picking up one and then you, then you pick, yeah. and then next thing you're like picking three breeze yeah. blocks up at the same time. But we used to have to chisel them apart because the frost would stick them together. <laughs> and I used to did wonder where my life was going at that point. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I was rescued. I was definitely yeah, rescued. It's funny, isn't it, how you can be yeah. on the bones of your ass, not knowing what the hell's going on, and then at a different point in your life, you're in a completely different place. Yeah. Yeah. We went to, we went to a bedsit there in London we lived in. And every time an IRA bomb went off, they had a party because it was owned by IRA sympathisers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the room going, uh, uh, uh. yeah. Yes. What, um, so how did you start making money then? Because it, it sounds like a, from, from being well, on a building site to being a multimillionaire. Well, I went, I went to Washington as a bodyguard, um, threatened the black. Uh, sorry, threatened his, his, his cousin because he was beating the black housekeeper. So I got sacked from that. Then I went to Uganda as a mercenary and came out of the coup. Very luckily came out of the coup. Um, across land with no weapons. But that's, that's in the book. Leave, leave some, for someone to read. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I went to contract security, basically, Chris, and got a lot of contacts. And the, the, the one guiding force behind all of this is my wife Teresa and we sat there one day and she said you need to start on your own I said nah I can't we sorry where's the post office that is a uh, a comedy series on its own you were op opening a post office yeah I, I went to, ran a post office in Devon for four and a half years Otterton I heard about that yes um, bad luck having to come to Devon apologise about that <laughs> um, if I was at own a post office, I probably would have robbed it back in my younger younger days. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so 
And how did you go from a post office then to where you are now? Well, I did the contract stuff and then I borrowed £40,000 to build an extension to my bungalow. And it was when they changed the rules. You didn't have to give... Usually when you borrowed money from a building site, you had to give all the invoices from the builders and the quotes. They said, no, you don't need that anymore. You can do what you like with it. And Teresa said, start on your own, out the garage. And I did. I would cut a long story short. 17 years later, I was turning over 80 million with two and a half thousand people. My gosh. Sorry, doing what? what, Contract security on the Shard, Tower 42, City Point. I only took big buildings. Lloyd's. So how did you feel then when Matey Boy gets up there with his parachute on and base jumps off? As long as my guards haven't let him on, that's fine. The one on the shard actually went through the railway because the station owns a third of that perimeter. So not guilty, Your Honour. Okay. Because <laughs> I've seen a few of those videos. Yeah. I'd like to get that lad on. If anybody knows that guy I'm on about, get him on my podcast. <laughs> he gets around all the security, he gets yeah. up to these buildings in London and him and, him and maybe his mate jump off. Um, what, yeah. I, yeah, I actually sold three, four years ago and I gave, I, I got 20 million, I gave 10 away to family and staff, 5 million purely to the staff that helped me do it. And the accountant said, I don't know anyone else that would have done this. I wrote all a handwritten letter because if you do that, they don't get the tax, it's a gift. And I, yeah, wrote five million pounds worth of checks. Blimey. <laughs> well, mate, they deserved it. Mm. And what can I do with 20? I can't do with 10. Yes. But I'm only a, an ordinary guy, you know. Yeah, of course. How, how's the book been doing? Um, I don't know, really. They don't keep in contact with me. <laughs> Welcome to the world of uh, writing. Publishers, yeah. yes. I've, I've, um, I've been through it. I've been through it all. I, I tell about the boot of my car, Chris. Oh, well done. I cost people in the streets. <laughs> yes, probably going to um, cost you more money to do that than you'll make. <laughs> did you, um, you know, how, how do you how do you go about getting a book together? Then did you have help with it, or do you? Do you... It was Jamie Jamie Hogg the. What happened was I've got a house in, in on the Dales and across the road there was a guy called Alan who used to look after it for me. And I told him a few war stories. He said, well, my son is a ghostwriter and he just finished Brian Blessed. And he said, tell me three stories. So I told him three. He said, have you got any more? I said, loads. He said, right, I'm going to sit down with it. It took two and a half years to write. Yeah, we should thank Jamie because I, well, I, I spoke to yeah, I spoke to him on the phone to get to get your number and um, very very nice chat. He is also the one I go to when I get depressed because I I do suffer a lot with uh, dark places and uh, usually I will go and see my grandchildren. That and Sophia just lights me up. Um, if I'm really bad, I'll just text Jamie and he'll he'll know and we'll have a chat. Uh, yeah. But he's, he's, yeah, he's a good boy. Yes. So to finish off, we were going to talk, weren't we, uh, about overcoming overcoming abuse. Um, I, I, 
what I want to angle at here, and I'm I want to be careful, Martin, because yeah. what works for one might not work for another. But we do live in a society where I believe we're purposely destroyed from birth with respect to developing what I would call a spiritual self, you know, a connection with something yeah. that's much, much bigger than us, what yeah. maybe some people want to call God or whatever. And I believe these psychopathic trillionaires that own and control everything are really clever at cutting us off from that. And I also think that they like to see us suffer. They don't like to see us get over stuff. This is why we live in a culture where rather than, you know, people have become so damaged that when they have an issue, they wear it like as a badge of honor, you know, mm. like, hey, I'm an abuse this, I'm a, and and yeah and well, i just think yeah. it, it it it's like a negative start because what i say is there's you know it's all experiences if you can get to love the person you are now yeah you've got a great life like a, for example you know if you've got a beautiful family yeah you couldn't have this if you hadn't gone through this life experience when it was good when it was bad and I'm not saying that, you know, it's right to hurt or abuse people. No, of course, not, not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is if we can learn to learn by it and then well, leave, it, leave, it, leave it in the past and move on. Well, that's, that's basically, um, people say, was it therapeutic writing the book? No, I pushed all that away. Mm. I, never, I hardly ever thought about it then. But all I'll say is that, that me and Teresa have, try to give our children and have succeeded what we never had which was a close where siblings looked after siblings we might be looking at suicide um in whole prison because my father threw him out um, he hung himself and i had to go and you know do the body my two cousins committed suicide so uh, that's inherent and there's some in my family as well in my children mm. have suffer i'm Bryn did afghan as a marine and he lost a good buddy and he suffers, you know, so, but I will, I will never give up on them where back in the day, you know, if you were depressed, whether it be drugs, you're you out, fuck off, you miserable bastard, get out. But it, that's not what it is. Mm. And I've, there's one thing I always, and if anyone takes anything but this, a kind word can save a life, a nasty word can cost one. Because if you're on the edge, the nasty one will send you over and the nice one will just lift you up enough to step back from that train platform or un undo the noose or put the pills down, you know, and it just people fucking stop being kind to each other. That's all it takes. Don't need therapists. Just everyone looks after each other. It's never going to happen for us, is it? Well, yeah, it, mm, it, it will happen, but first of all, and I'll make no apologies for saying we've got to get rid of these psychopaths that control it. You know, they they want us to be unhappy. Yeah. We there's a better way. You know, all we are to them is a birth certificate because that's registered on the stock exchange for for their fucking weird perverts. But there is a better way, and we will get there. This is part of the reason I started the Global Veterans Alliance is to is to use a, a, a military uh, approach discipline 
but in a peaceful way to say yeah. to people, to say these guys don't control the show. Everyone's born beautiful. Everyone's born perfect. Everybody's born equal. Everyone should experience, uh, I don't want to say happiness, but by happiness, what I mean is when it's not going so well, you appreciate this life just as much yeah. as when it's going so well. And this is yeah. what they've done. They've done it really clever is they've got people to think when you're facing a bit of a challenge, oh, throw the baby out of the bathwater, nothing's worth, you know, and and it and it's good to get your life in a place where, you know, if I go outside the front door and I watch a juggernaut run over my car, I just fucking could not yeah. give a shit. Honestly, no, I would laugh my ass. As long as nobody yeah. was hurt, I'd laugh my ass off. Yeah. Whereas what we've got is a society where that yeah. will be one of the worst things in people's lives that they're going to piss their pants about and cry like a bitch. And I'm not criticizing the person now I'm saying I'm, you know, and, and we need to lead people into the light and in, 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 in to get balance and happiness in their lives and to prioritize. It'd be nice to one person every day, Chris, that's mm. all people have to do. And they'll take away any power of anybody because they haven't yeah. got power. It's all nice. And then you love everyone loves you. That's it. Done. Yeah. And it's not rocky science, is it, mate? No, it's not. And and like you said, I always say you're either somebody that pulls people away from suicide yeah. or you're a person that pushes people towards it. There's no yeah. there isn't a middle ground. Nope. And what we're seeing at the minute is a military uh, um, crisis in mental health. The suicides are through the roof. I oh, know. And yet you've got thoughtless service personnel on, on, on their keyboards still giving fellow service people shit. I know. And not understanding that you are, you know, you are the problem because you can get over trauma. You can get over bad experiences. Yes, you, can. You, you can get over what happened in Afghanistan. You, you can, but you can't do it when you've got some fucking knobhead. Yeah. And, and 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 it's it's ah. and sadly by nature of the psychological makeup of a lot of military personnel they they can be the worst for it not not all of them there's some beautiful military people out there veterans yeah, there are. but there's also some real wankers aren't there <laughs> i've decked a few of them <laughs> yeah you know if you ain't got no, something nice to say, just 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 no. shut up and fuck off. Shut. Yep, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, yeah. listen, this has been brilliant. Viva la revolution! <laughs> yes. Yes, it's coming, but it will be a peaceful one and it will be yes. on, our, on our terms, not 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 these idiots. No. Um, brother, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Um, I can't wait to dive into your book and then we'll get you back on the show again because i'll have a load more questions for you then all right mate but um martin just stay on the line while i click the record button off then then i can okay. thank, thank you properly then i can then i'm going to proposition you but not not in that <laughs> not not in that respect because i know i was you're... just taking the shorts off <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to get i don't want to get knocked out here but um Hang on, you disappeared. Is someone trying to call you? Low battery. Ah, uh, okay. All right, in that case, I'll pick up the phone to you. To our friends at home, massive love to you all. 
thank you so much for for um tuning into the podcast it's been an absolute um oh there we go yeah, yeah. it's been an absolute uh brilliant one martin thank you ever so much again my pleasure sir friends could you like and subscribe and hit the notifications bell and could you just check friends that you're subscribed because youtube just subscribes people unsubscribes people from this channel um in 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 their droves which is pretty unfair but it's just one of those you know you i guess they've got their favorite channels and the channels that speak the truth too too much anyway i'm out of here see you all soon friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share and don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall. Instagram Chris Thrall. Thank you.